0: This episode of TWiP is brought to you by the new voice-activated sync featuring hands-free calling, music, and podcast search, along with turn-by-turn navigation. Available exclusively on Ford, Lincoln, and Mercury vehicles. For more details, visit SyncMyRidePodcast.com. And enter to win a free Nano or Zune. Just send a tweet with the hashtag SyncMyRidePodcast. This week on the show, kids building their own cameras, putting the D in ND filter, and Demi Moore loses her torso in Photoshop. Right here on This Week in Photography, number 118. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to This Week in Photography, at number I don't know. It's it's getting it's getting up there. It's uh, I, you know it's one eighteen or something like that. I think I just said that, but uh, just in case you're wondering, and uh, I'm here. This is Alex uh, sitting in for Fred. Fred was not able to join us uh, today, and we have a couple of the usual suspects: Ron Brinkman in uh, Hermosa Beach, Hermosa Beach, oh, all the time. Look at that! Look at that! Not Seattle. Not no more uh, Seattle. Poo. No more rainy weather. Not Iceland. <laughs> not iceland <laughs> <laughs> so uh ron is in hermosa beach we have steve simon in uh in new york i assume
1: in rainy manhattan is Absolutely. it rainy today is it rainy hard it is yeah just kind of a steady dreary kind of rain i love those days i know anyway and uh, I mean, we going to stick my tongue out later and uh, the <laughs>
0: and, and we also have a, a new guest uh joseph Lanaski. hey joseph hello is it joseph or joe it's Joseph. Joseph. Okay, great. And um, and so uh, anyway, we're so uh, we're excited to have uh, Joseph on the uh, on the show. And uh, we not got- really a new
2: de- a new guest, you know. There was a, a show that you missed. Oh, is yes. a new guest was for that- me. There yes. you go. I was here. Uh, see, see. It's Okay, if you don't love
3: me, I, I understand.
2: It's <laughs> <laughs> an old timer. Oh, Actually, was that the uh, was that last show that we did, Joseph? Your first time on the show, or had you even been on one
0: time before that?
3: That was my first time live on the show. I'd been interviewed by Frederick before. Uh, and that's what it was—the show.
0: So yeah, yeah, okay. Hey, guys, before we go any further, I just want to thank our sponsor, uh, of course, the Ford, the new Ford, uh, Voice Activated Sync. Sync, of course, listens to your voice, so Sync knows what you want to do. And when you you tell it, you want to play TWIP or call home or play your favorite playlist or give you turn-by-turn navigation. You can even get weather and and traffic updates uh, all hands-free with uh, the sound of your voice. I mean, you don't need to – this is really like totally – Enterprise Star Trek kind of stuff uh, you're able to control your your uh, your device whether it's an iPod or something else uh, you're able to get all this information and you, and you don't have to you know do anything. You don't, you're not punching around. You're not hitting your driver's seat, seat you know, your, your driver's wheel. You're not doing any of that stuff. You just make it happen. And uh, it, it really is revolutionary. And, and I know that Leo's been talking about on his shows. I got to ride in the passenger seat and, and see some of it. And I'm hoping to, to actually play with it a little bit soon. And it's just, it just looks awesome. Now, if you want to get more details, you can go to SyncMyRidePodcast.com. And if you want to enter to win, they're giving away a ton of free nanos and Zoons. You can tweet with a hashtag sync my ride podcast so definitely check that out and once again you just got a tweet put it put it put it somewhere put the hashtag in there sync my ride podcast and you'll get a chance to win a zune or a nano so we've got a couple uh, a couple fun things in the news uh, the first one evidently uh demi moore is missing a torso her whole torso. I mean, you know, I, I think that there's there's a new transplant that might be uh, available um, for this, but, uh, but it's uh, – Steve, can you give us a little uh, rundown of uh, Demi Moore's torso?
1: Yeah, well, I, I guess, guess uh, the latest uh, Photoshop disaster or retouching uh, miracle, whatever you want to call it, uh, for the cover of W Magazine, um, it was reported that they had put – they had replaced various Demi Moore parts on another model, a younger 26-year-old – Anja Rubik, who I believe is a a supermodel. And, um, you know, this thing, of course, happens all the time. And, you know, I think we talked on the show, David Bailey, the great portrait fashion photographer, said that retouchers are more important than photographers in editorial commercial photography. And, And here's just another example of that. I mean, you know, there are no qualms about taking her head and her arms and putting it on another model's uh, body. We just talked about the Ralph Lauren um, thing that happened last week. Uh, you know, personally, I, I, I just don't know why they feel they have to do this. I mean, there's all kinds of issues beyond, you know, photographic uh, when it comes to, you know, the 47 year old hot looking Demi. Um, I guess not good enough for, for a major uh, magazine. What do you guys think? Yeah, what, what do you think, Ron?
2: Well, I almost wonder at this point if some some of the time this isn't really even an issue of we don't like her body so much as we just want a different dress or we just want a different pose, and uh, they just go ahead and pull another one out of a file and use it. I mean, certainly you know there there probably are times where the body gets altered to make it look. Skinnier, or you know, more model-like, or whatever. But I really it wouldn't surprise me at all if a lot of times this just comes down to an editorial decision that has nothing to do with the size of the body and has everything to do with we want to show off a particular dress made by a particular you know uh, brand or something like that.
0: Well, and I think also one of the things is is that we we could uh, you, you know if, if we wanted to Photoshop it, we can just Photoshop anybody's body into just about anything. There's no reason to just uh, you know if if we you know that was the look that they wanted, but if they wanted to make to make Demi look like. She was 27 years old. They don't need another photo to do that, right? Right. Joseph, right. what do you think?
3: I think maybe the magazines would come down on hard times and they couldn't afford to get her on the catwalk. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but, you know, why don't they own up and, and just, just say, look, this is what we're doing? I mean, they try and sneak it by and uh, they generally are successful because you end up, um, you know, hearing about it on these websites that catch these these things. I mean, journalistically, I think when you look at a magazine and you see Demi Moore's face Walking uh, on the cover, you expect that that's her body, regardless if you know that this happens all the time.
2: I, I just don't think they think that way anymore. I think it's – I really think that these – you know, this is a product. It's just – it's an illustration on the front of their magazine, and I don't even think I, – I just really think they're at that mindset these days where it's just like, all right, what pieces are we going to put together to make a cover and some art director is just deciding, you know, this and this and this and put it all together. And that's what I want.
0: Well, yeah, I don't think that they're, in the advertising cover business, it really doesn't seem like there is uh, any any issue there. I, I saw I was in a, uh, a photographer's studio in New York, actually, um, last week. No, I was just going to give you a didn't Steve call, a card. Yeah. No, no, I, I wasn't there. It was a year ago or two years ago or whatever. So uh, before I even knew who you were, Steve. So anyway, so the, uh, but I was in, I was in his studio and there were, and he had this before and after of one magazine cover. Uh, and, um, and I can't, remember, it was just a model, but it was, you saw one photo that was just completely marked up, you know? So it was a photo and it had all these little lines and all these little arrows, like move the waist in, bring the the, the uh, chest out, you know, pull this part of her chin in, pull this out, you know, erase these things, little circles everywhere. And, that, and, and it's not like that was something that is new or even unique. It was like, that's what you do for every cover that we see. And I think that that, but that also gets into that. I think it's, I think it's what's more interesting is for us to just know that it's happening, Um, for us to realize that what we're seeing is not reality. And I think that that's that's a great lesson for all of us. I don't think that they need to do anything different. You know, they're not going to go back to reality. I mean, I think that they've they've gone too far. Um, Go ahead.
1: Yeah, I was just saying, Alice, I mean, we've talked about, you know, I think it was France that wanted to sort of put on the cover a a disclaimer every time an image was retouched and we said that, you know, it would be on every single picture. I mean, you know, I, I, I think that there has to be, I think there should be some sort of ethical Guideline. I think there should be um, mention of the fact that this is happening because we kind of know it, but I think the general population doesn't really have time to even, you know, recognize that. And, you know, there's more important things to worry about. It's, it's a lie. And, and we know this lie has been going on for a long time. But to the extent that it is, uh, more and more and more and more. And, uh, you know, personally, uh, what's wrong with a little bit of, of reality? Um, because you know the the magazine industry is hurting, and and this doesn't seem to be helping. So maybe a, a little more reality on the covers uh, might might just uh, it, it's not going to hurt. Never going <laughs> <laughs> to <That's, laughs> <Steve, laughs> w- happen.
3: I would argue that does it really matter? I mean, you're not trying to sell. You know, if you're selling a, a diet pill, and you know you're going to show somebody who's heavily overweight, and then six months later really thin, that needs to be based in reality because you're selling something that is based off of those images. But if you're if you're selling that dress, and that's what you're selling, or you're selling, um, you know, just the just image of the magazine, or you're selling the magazine. But, does it but, really matter
1: if? Don't you think the body it's a slippery slope, Joseph, in the sense that you know, if you have sort of d- different standards for different things, and everything is all blurred together, it's going to be impossible to differentiate between what's real and what's not. But I think there so are think-
2: different standards for different things, Steve. Yeah. I mean, that's that's part of the issue here. Is I, I think. Clearly, you know, if you're looking at the New York Times, you expect one thing. If you're looking at TV Guide, uh, you expect something different. But I don't know where you draw that line. And I think it's appropriate to say that, you know, there should be some kind of disclosure, though. And some magazines could make the point that, you know, we do not retouch photos and others could you know have something at the very outset say that many photos in this magazine are retouched and then that's that's about the extent you're going to get
0: and it and it, it could be even one of those things that you could put it in the masthead or on the same page as the masthead you know just something that is just kind of a general disclaimer that you could say photos in this magazine have been retouched or you can or you could state which photos have been retouched uh, but i think that i think it is every cover that we see uh is something that has been retouched i, I don't think that there's any uh any photos that are on a cover, and I think that a lot of that is that there's a look, and sometimes it's obviously they're trying to create a look, you know. So that, you know, you look at a Wired cover, and they obviously retouched it, but they retouched it for uh, a specific, um, you know, outcome. And the question is, is what's different from that, uh, and what we see here on on the the cover of uh, of W Magazine? So yeah, that- when
1: when Alex um, when um, Sarah Palin was on the cover of Newsweek, it was a tight close up, and there was controversy because that image was not. Retouched, and a lot of people said, "Hey, it's no right. fair to run uh, an image, you know, so tight and so on." But anyway, as long as the viewers know that my face is under a heavy Gaussian blur for this show, <laughs> I, I don't, <laughs> I don't mind saying that. That's just the way it is,
0: and it's big business. I mean, the thing that people should know. I mean, retouching is. Uh, this is a a big business. We have a, um, a a guy that works in our office now, McKay, who uh, used to do uh, a lot of retouching. and um, And when you hear the stories from him or and, and from other guys that have worked in this industry, I mean, it's just insane. If you if you go up to YouTube, I think you do a s- search for photo retouching. Um, you will see there's a great like time lapse video of a, of what happens with a model from the time that they are. Uh, um, uh, you know, from the time they're photographed to the time they end up on a billboard. And it's a, uh, it's a pretty uh, eye uh experience when you, when you look at that. And so it's, I just think that the most important thing is for people to know that it's happening. I don't think that there's any reason to change it as much as, I mean, I think for photojournalism, I think that becomes a whole different thing, but I think that one of the issues with uh, photojournalism is you're manipulating the situation by how you point the camera. When a, when a photojournalist takes a camera and gets up higher than their, than the crowd and points down, it makes the crowd look bigger. <laughs>
1: you know, you yeah. know, you know, or, or
0: if you if, or if you take a wide shot, uh, you know, but but that's another manipulation of the of reality. It
2: is, it is, but we have a you know, we have a natural understanding of that sort of manipulation. I don't think we, we do. I think that
0: people people. I, I think that people. Um, a lot of people. Will look at the look at what they're seeing and not realize that that angle or that the lens length or the uh you know the, or how the, where the camera's pointed is is massively manipulating uh, how that person or that more importantly that scene looks. Uh, someone who's suddenly seen much closer to something more you know dangerous or or a crowd suddenly looks a lot bigger, um, and that's that's us manipulating the lens angle.
3: Like looking at an ad for a hotel room and you see the hotel room, (coughs) excuse me, it looks fantastically big and you think, oh, this is great. And then you get there and it's the size of a shoebox. Yeah. It's because they used a really wide angle lens.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Steve, what were you going to say?
1: Yeah, no, I was just going to say that, look, you know, when it comes to photography, I think we all, I don't, I don't, I don't think you can really underestimate the general public because they know what photography is. They know that there's a frame and then there's reality beyond the frame. And, you know, for the most part, I think we're, we're comfortable with that. But when you start, Taking things out digitally and putting things in when they weren 't there, I think that 's a line that that is a lot more dangerous and I would like to see that at least owned up to when when it is being used heavily, you know regardless and you know there 's a lot of publications that have ads and they have photojournalism and they have journalism and it 's all melding together and it 's getting harder and harder to believe anything that you read and hear and and as you know publications are are having more difficulty. Uh, and blogs are popping up, and people are having a lot more power in terms of the the audience they reach. I think it 's a real problem because we 're not going to know you know what 's what 's real and what 's not so i don 't mind a line. I say no, I say no more of this this stuff without owning up to it
2: i again never going to happen so uh, you know <laughs> what,
0: what 's the intermediate thing? I think the only thing is some sort of disclosure. And I, I think that the most intermediate thing is discussions like this where we make sure that people are clear, at least the people listening yeah. to this podcast, that, you know, nothing that you see on the on the news is the truth. Um, it's just some some uh, random sliver of uh, of reality that, you know, may or may not be Every, the whole, uh, yeah, the whole picture. Yeah, it's a little strong
2: to say that nothing is the truth, but everything is through a filter of, the
0: you know, the people that are putting it together. And it's right. very true. Right, and I, and I think that that's good. I, I think that's one of the great things about citizen journalism. I think that uh, when people, when you see how things can be manipulated, when you're doing it yourself, when you're playing with it, uh, I think that you you look at the news, you know, very, very differently. You know, I look at watching films or commercials or or all kinds of other things very differently than I would uh, had I just been a consumer of it. You know, when I'm producing it, I'm looking at it and I'm going, "Oh, that's a bad key," or "Why did they do that edit?" <laughs> You know, or, it, it, or you know, it, that was a it, stupid it, angle. You know, and um, and uh, and I also see when people are manipulating very quickly. I'm very sensitive to people manipulating the camera angle and so on and so forth because that's what I do. You know, and, and uh, I think it's I think it's great that people are empowered with the tools to allow them to uh, to kind of do that on their own and, and be conscious of it because I don't think I don't think everyone's conscious of it. I think there's a lot of people that just kind of watch. I it I, and I think I think it, the camera angle is a really
2: interesting point because you know historically there's been a cost associated with publishing. A photo uh, of a particular scene, but these days you know they're, they're, with the online world it's, it would be very easy to not only publish sort of here's the eye-grabbing photo that we think sort of sums it up but to have a way to publish all the other shots in the scene you know all the other angles of coverage there so you'd get a much better sense of what's going on yeah. and it would be cool to see some of these news organizations acknowledging that and actually doing that where they put together you know sort of a secondary feature of here's here's what the scene was really like looking around a bunch of different angles. I mean, even if it's like a photosynth, you know, just, yeah. you know,
0: that yeah. way you can just I, kind I of wander around. We'll yeah. So the, is uh, there,
1: Is there an 800 number you can call if you spot her missing torso? Like, are they looking for You know, I,
0: I I I don't think that they put out an APB on the missing torso yet. <laughs> uh, I think that they're going to talk to Ashton Kutcher and see if he, <laughs> he might be it hiding it somewhere. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think that oh, Ashton Kutcher may be, you know, using it for some kind of uh, new... Uh, episode you know of telling her that she's that he's got the torso and she's running around looking for it so i think that that's um that's what we're going to probably be looking towards now also in the news we have a big shot um this is a this is a new site and i, and I don't have all the details on this um uh these are just prototypes but it's something that i think is a really interesting um, uh, program and i just think it was worth uh, talking about so this is um, a camera for education and um, this was i think inspired to some degree by uh did 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 everyone see born born into brothels?
1: Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. Um,
0: so which is in it, it's a, I mean, it's an incredible documentary, but it was, uh, based on, um, the interaction of a woman who is, is actually providing small, inexpensive, you know, disposable cameras to kids in India, uh, in, um, in very rough areas. Uh, and, um, uh, and get and what it comes back with, and so these, this is uh, these are prototypes that are being built out so that kids can actually build the camera, uh, which reduces expense, but it also allows them to really understand how it works, uh, and um, and then go out and shoot. And I, I just want one of the cameras. So, Ron, what do you think? Cool looking. I and I'm just sort of poking around. Everybody should go
2: to this uh, website, this bigshotcamera.org. dot uh, and, I mean, I guess I, I don't – I should read the background on this, but, you know, I guess it's an organization for providing these cameras to kids yeah. so that you can learn about cameras, you know, f- from the ground up. Learn about actually putting it together in the, the sort of physical side of it. And then, of course, learn about photography as well once you have that in place. So it's a, it's a neat-looking little camera, too. It looks like a little, you know, bright red point-and-shoot. Um, they've got – I think is cool about it. They've got this little lens wheel on there. Uh, that 's a nice elegant way of sort of switching out different lenses just by rotating them into place
0: yeah so it's it, it, it is really a fascinating project and I, and I think that this um, I really find it fascinating when you give kids in general um, uh, cameras um, I, uh, I have been giving my son when I'm, when i 'm visiting i 'll give him my SLr for uh, you know, at parties and stuff. He has his own little, little um, obviously his own little point and shoot, but I give him my SLR when I'm uh, in there and it's just amazing the photos he'll take. Uh, and, you know, from the time he was, you know, eight or nine years old and his his perspective obviously is is different, um, but his, you know, he frames things really well. He, you know, we talk about framing a little bit and then he, um, but he just get, captures these incredible photos of, and he just looks at life and, and you get to see how he's looking at life. And I think that uh, empowering kids with uh, with these cameras, whether they're, you know, here in the United States, but especially uh, in, in uh, less, uh, less fortunate areas, I think it's a fascinating uh, process. And I think that hopefully they're going to make these available in school.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, when, when, Born, when Born into Brothels came out, I think it was Anna Brisky um, who came out with the organization called Kids with Cameras. And it spawned a variety of different organizations around the world. And you're right, when you see images that were made by kids, I mean, I find it a little annoying when, you know, four-year-olds are better photographers than I am. <laughs> so, and, and, you know, there's that innocence of vision. And frankly, you know, as a photographer, one of the, the things that I always struggle with is, when I, I remember first getting into it, and I was free, I didn't know anything, I hadn't learned all the rules and so on, and I would just shoot, and I would make, you know, original-looking images. And I think sometimes with the more we learn, the more it puts blinders on us. And I think the idea of trying to return to that innocence of vision that you had as a little kid is a really noble and and positive thing to do, because I think it ultimately will allow you to do better work. I don't know how you guys feel about that. Well, I
2: think the other fascinating thing about it is that, you know, a kid carrying a camera is, is, is so, you know, sort of much less uh, intrusive than an adult a lot of times. And I, and I think... Adults will tend to probably act more naturally and not even notice this kid with this toy that he's carrying around. Uh, and in some ways, that, that alone is going to give you a much different perspective on the scenario because it's going to be much more, uh, much more natural, much less artificial.
3: I think a big addition to this is that it's not just the kids with the camera taking pictures. They're building the camera. They're learning how the image is made before they go out and make the image. And just like in photography school, being forced to use manual or being forced to shoot film and then go spend some time in the darkroom, even though chances are you'll never do that in your professional career, it's very beneficial to understand the background behind it you know, learn the how before you yeah. go out there and just start doing it for fun
1: yeah I think I, think I was just going to add it would be cool if you know you had a choice I can order my d3 s assembled or <laughs> no. not assembled I could. I could take it home and take the 4,000 pieces and put it together. That could be fun.
0: (laughs) I don't know if I'd want to do do that with my SLR, but, uh, (laughs) but definitely having a kit camera. I, I know I, I'm probably one of the many who started with a Pentax, you know, K, K K1000, you know, all manual camera. Um, and, uh, Uh, And develop my own film, develop black and white and and color, and I just feel fortunate that I lived in a time when I got to do that. Because now kids, you know, they just they don't get to play with that. And and there there was something that I think uh, you get out of um, you know out of that process. And so I think this gets a little bit more uh, back to that. And if it reduces the cost, I mean, I I think one of the opportunities. What I'm hoping they're going to do is not just make this available in the emerging world, but make it available to schools and anybody who wants to buy it. And do I think one of the things that was really interesting about the the one laptop program was that you you could buy a lap, you could buy two laptops and one would come to you and the other one would, would go to somebody, you know, that's, and that's how they funded that. Uh, And I thought that was a great model. I bought, I bought two (laughs) and, (laughs) uh, and got one. And, and so, uh, and I think that that was a great model. I hope to see that, I hope, I hope they think about doing that, um, for this model. So, uh, hey Alex, can yeah. I,
1: can I just ask something? Cause I know that one of the readers, uh, one of our, one of our, our viewers or listeners, uh, Peter Hofstad, uh, sent me an email and I think I may have sent it around to you guys talking about, Hey, you know, you're forgetting all these film photographers out there because there's still, you know, a, a group of photographers who may have digital, but they're still kind of committed to film. And I know in my teaching experience, when students come in and there's access to a dark room, they love, you know, and they want to shoot film and they want to be in the dark room yeah. for the same reasons that, you know, that we, 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 you know, got into it and, and loved it as well. But, uh, yeah, you know, one of these days we'll have to do sort of a retro, uh, show, you know, just really talking about where film is out, out at today, what's available, who's doing it, and all that kind of stuff.
0: Well, and I think one of the things that I was, that I, Fred and I had, Frederick and I had been talking about was, um, also, uh, talking about some of the historical stuff and showing some of it while we can still get a hold of some of the film (laughs) you know i mean so like for instance uh doing uh um a variety of the polaroid polaroid transfer you know polaroid transfer and and some of the stuff that was just a lot of fun um uh you know using sx70 and and some of that stuff is still you know you can get it on ebay uh and it would be fun to show people how that worked or even get into some of the old cameras so that we can really look at the history of it because i think that uh, and i don't mean to connect Uh, ancient history with uh current film users there is something that is a there's something there's still something about film that is prettier i will admit (laughs) it's kind of like you know when i when i look at when i look at the film uh that i shot uh, you know i still i was looking through some slides i was cleaning last night and looking through some slides and saw um and and uh looked at some of the images and realized there's still something very um something i can't put my what (laughs) <laughs> something very film-like, so, yeah. It, but it was just rich in, in a way that I don't. I don't think I feel like I get with my with my SLR, uh, and I forgot what that looked like, you know. And 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 I think that that uh, we are losing something uh, in that in that respect. But the what we gain um, as in exchange, I think, is is much greater. But but I think that um, it, we definitely should should talk about film at some point in time. It is a fascinating thing. I just think that there's so much to say for iteration. You know, that for people uh, and for photographers that, that that's part of that's the biggest thing for film uh, is not is it just you don't get the cycle as fast, which maybe maybe that's not not necessarily good. Anyway, so um, so that is uh, um, that is the news. I don't think did we did we miss any news that uh, in, in particular? I think it was it was a short probably. News- it was thanksgiving <laughs> probably there's a lot of little updates, so there's a lot of little updates that have, that have come up um, but nothing uh, you know nothing major. so now what we 're going to do is we 're going to jump into we don't have a lot of're so one of the things people should know there's a couple of things people need to know uh, before we go any further here is that uh, that we have uh, Fred Rick has been working a lot on the on the TWIP log, so you definitely want to take a look at it he's, he's made it look a lot. And uh, and we're going to be doing a lot of work on the Twip blog uh, over the next uh, three or four weeks uh, as we get ready for 2010. And uh, and so definitely check it out, but also make sure to sign up for the Twip newsletter. We're going to start uh, doing a lot more in t- 2010. We're going to start um, putting out sales, putting out. Um, all kinds of coupons, uh, as well as just giving you news about places to go and things to do that are related to the Twip audience. And so uh, you definitely want to go up to twiplog.com. Uh, one of the other things that uh, we're going to be doing is definitely a and a Q&A. Uh, next week. And one of the things that we're going to do a little bit different uh, in uh, next week's Q&A is now for those of you who are listening to this podcast, uh, some of you are, are, are watching us live right now. But for those of you, um, we have about 300 people watching us live uh, at the moment. Uh, but we have obviously a lot more thirty, forty thousand 40,000 are that are listening to us. Um, for those of you who are listening later, you get this on Wednesday, sometimes Thursday. Um, uh, on Mondays is when we actually record this. And we record it at 11 o'clock Pacific Standard Time. And one of the things we're going to do is we're going to record this uh, live next week, uh, as usual. Um, but we're also going to um, uh, be answering questions and responding much more to—it's going to it's gonna be a Q&A all week. So you can put questions in from twiplog.com. Or uh, you can come to the IRC and uh, engage in the chat. So um, so we're going to be talking to people a lot more and going back and forth with a lot of, a lot of people and answering questions from the IRC. And that's just the TWIT IRC. We're, we're, we record at the TWIT uh, cottage. So it's IRC.twit.com. TV and we had a lot of fun we did this a little bit um last week and we realized you know we should really do uh do this all the time so definitely and, check and out if you're, And if you're coming on live you get the uncensored
2: version of things yeah <laughs> <laughs> cuz you know Steve tends to let forth with
0: a lot of profanities when he's talking. You, know, you ought to see him. I mean, I mean, you know. It's so, a string of words that your mother would just blush. I mean, we started talking about retouching earlier. And, you know, the stuff that you're, you're, you, you heard a clean version. I mean, Steve went off. I mean, it was like two <laughs> minutes. It was two <laughs> minutes. Is that, is that
1: why I'm on a 12-second delay? Well, yeah. That, I mean, right? Well,
0: I mean, it's, it's one of – no, the thing is, is when you listen to him live, you don't hear any of that 12-second delay. And, and, and I mean, it was like – I mean, I, I had never heard anyone describe uh, – you know, orangutan that way. I mean, I just, I was just, I, you know, I was just, I, you know, so, I mean, I, you know, this is the kind of stuff that you miss when you don't see us live. So, um, definitely check it out. Um, so it's IRC. <laughs> I'm sorry. Let's <laughs> trying not to slip off the, the laugh wagon. Anyway, so, um, Tv. So definitely check that out next week, 11 o'clock Pacific standard time. And we're going to start on time. So we're not known for that. <laughs> yeah, Sure. We were close. I, I came in. I was ready. We had some technical difficulties. There's always something. So it'll start sometime between 11 and 11.15. 11, um, so, uh, so definitely check that out. Uh, I, I'm really excited about that. Uh, we want to do a lot more of the kind of interacting with the listeners uh, directly. There's going to be a lot of that, by the way, in Twip Log. So if you sign up for the newsletter, we'll let you know. But we're going to start really incorporating... Uh, as we go into 2010, uh, a lot of our listeners in telling you who we're going to interview and have you give us some uh, feedback on what you want to hear, questions you want to ask, putting up the news items throughout the week so that you can comment on them and then we can refer back to them. So these are all things that we're going to be doing a lot more of uh, as we move into, into uh, 2010. So uh, definitely uh, make sure to get on the newsletter. Uh, Make sure to come next Monday and, uh, and join us uh, on the, uh, on the show. And, um, Anyway, so so definitely check that out, and uh, I think the the last thing we had to talk about, uh, uh, Steve, you have a, a list of movies about photography.
1: Oh yeah, well I um, someone sent me. Uh, there's a blog called A Photo Student's, um, and uh, in it uh, today's post he has movies about photography, and there is a long list, kind of divided up, uh, you know, sort of um, uh, biographies on famous photographers and movies with them in it. And then there's the the classic movies that Hollywood has done and independents have done uh, with photographers or photography as kind of a main theme. Everything from Blow Up, which I think did more for the, uh, to enroll, you know, for fashion photography schools in the 60s than any other movie. Uh, a lot of photographers, uh, you know, were of that era were, were, were first to want to get into it. But, uh, yeah, there's a long list, including, you know, War Photographer, James Natchway, um, uh, cartier Bresson. There's movies on him, The Decisive Moments, uh, Born Into Brothels, of course. We talked about that earlier. is on the list. And, uh, you know, there's, there's little tidbits of um, a Masters of Photography series, which you can still get a lot of these movies, with Deanne Arbus, who, you know, tragically took her own life relatively early. But it's, it's very interesting to watch this movie and see her... Uh, and listen to the words that she, because um, she said a lot of really powerful things about the process of photography. So it's definitely worth uh, looking into. Any uh, Joseph, what's your uh, favorite photography movie?
3: You know, the War Photographer by James Knockaway, I Watched that about a year ago, and it was just absolutely fascinating. Really, really well done. Yeah, what one of we'll one of my at? favorites
2: on this list is the. Um, you mentioned the Apocalypse Now Redux, but there's also uh, a documentary on Apocalypse Now, which is called Hearts of Darkness, um, that's just sort of what what that shoot was like. And anybody that's been on a movie set uh, <laughs> knows that it sometimes gets a little bit crazy. But that Sometimes. Was, uh, sometimes. Yeah, sometimes. Well, watch, if you watch Hearts of Darkness, it goes beyond anything I've ever conceived of on a movie set. And um, I mean, it literally was you know almost as intense as the movie itself. Uh, and a lot of stuff, you know, you, it gives you a, a sense of, you know, the photography part of it too, what it's like to get some of those shots. Uh, so I definitely recommend probably watching Apocalypse Now and then
0: watching the Hearts of Darkness documentary right after that. That's great. And and I, you know, if people haven't seen Born into Brothels, uh, you know, I would highly suggest it. It's intense. It's something that will, uh, you know, but I think that it's um, definitely worth, I think I was looking at of all the ones that, I've, that are on this list that I've seen and I have, I have I haven't seen a lot of them. Uh, that was definitely uh, that was a real uh, it impacted me a lot. The uh, you know we really ought to looking at this list. Uh, we we really ought to start watching these. I bet you a lot of them are on Netflix. We can just uh, maybe maybe talk about one every every month or. Yeah, that'd be a great idea. Yeah, I'm you know. pretty sure most of these are on Netflix. And yeah, so, so we should start. Yeah. I'm going to start I'm going to see how many are on my Netflix instant play so that I can watch it on my Roku. So, if yeah, um, we should
1: if we all lived uh, in the same neighborhood we can get together for movie night. That would be
0: <laughs> You know, why don't we do it all over Skype? <laughs> <laughs> we can watch it together and then we can talk about it. No. Because
3: yeah, I love it when people talk in the middle of my movie.
0: I love that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you, if you have two kids that are under 2, um, uh, you get to a point where you can just kind of you don't hear it anymore. You know, just, you, you're kind of moving around doing whatever you need to do. You don't notice it. So um, anyway, that's, uh, that's it for... Uh, oh, we have picks. Picks. Ron, did you get a pick? Putting Ron on the spot. Uh, we were talking before the show and I forgot to put together a pick, but I'm going to be completely
2: self-serving and pick my blog this week just because I did put up Because <laughs> uh, it was available. Because it was available. No, I actually, I just did a blog post a couple days ago that's uh, very photography related. It talks a little bit about how um, changing the size of your aperture can can help to hide defects in the front of the lens, even in front of the center of the lens, as Joseph mentioned. Uh, it actually changes the uh, the characteristics of the bokeh. And, um, so check out uh, digitalcomposting.com uh, for the most recent
0: post. Uh, I think anybody that does a little photography will find that one somewhat useful. You know, it's funny. I was talking to someone about how I never get dust on my lens. This is years ago, and uh, <laughs> they were like, "Really? You never get any dust on your not on my lens, on my sensor." And they were like, "Really? So, you don't have any dust on your sensor?" And I clean my lens and everything else, and and uh, and I said, "No, no, no, I don't, I don't have any." And they said, "Well," and I, and I said, "See?" And I, and I you know I showed them all these photos, and there's nothing there. And of course, I realized that it had been a year since I had shot with an aperture. Above two point eight, right. <laughs> you know, you know, and, and so and so I uh, and so I when I um, I turned it up to twenty two and took a photo of a white piece of paper and uh, it was a it was a very depressing. It's a mess. Yes. Yeah. It was. But
2: very it's, you know, it's a good thing to know that if you if you are in a in the field especially and you got something in your sensor and you can't you, know, you don't want to pull open the lens. Uh, or pull the lens off to try and clean it. You know, if you're in a very dusty situation, that you can use this uh, as as one of the tools of photographer to sort of help mitigate that problem. Just open up your aperture quite a bit, and, and what ends up happening is that the uh, the whole front of the lens surface is what's gathering the light for every pixel, and uh, it will you know, really eliminate the any sort of dust or imperfections you have
0: on the, on the front of the lens or on the sensor itself. So, and and I'm gonna. Just throw my pick in real quickly, just because it kind of builds on that a little bit, which is that uh, I don't have a specific brand that I'm, um, and maybe you guys have a brand, uh, but one of the things that I'm suggesting is uh, my my pick is ND filters. (laughs) You know, uh, Mm -hmm. I think that a lot of people, uh, you know, they think about having a polarizing filter or a UV filter to protect the lens, but I know a lot of people that just don't have it, just don't get an ND filter. And, you know, a neutral density filter uh, allows you to greatly lessen the amount of light, you know, coming into the image, and that gives you another level of control, especially in a bright area, um, to control your aperture. And and so this is you know related to what Ron was talking about. Sometimes you need to control that aperture, um, but you also you want to control the aperture, but you also want to control the shutter speed. Now, the reason that I have been uh, a little fixated with ND filters lately is because I've been shooting a lot of video with my cameras, and I want it to be at one. Uh, either fiftieth or one sixtieth. I want to be at one sixtieth of a second is generally what I'm leaving it at when I'm shooting on my on my 5D. But of course, I want it to be on. A, I want to have a short depth of field. The only way to get there is to um, is to put an ND filter on and, and reduce the amount of light. Now you can get point three, point six, point nine. You can get a lot of different kinds of ND filters. I get them all. You can get sets of them um, so that you can uh, so that you can reduce the amount of light and they look kind of the like a 0.9 will look very dark uh where it's reducing you know most of the light going in uh and and that's gonna but that's gonna let you open up that aperture in a bright area and still have that slower uh shutter speed and sometimes it's absolutely necessary if you want a wide if you want to put it at 1.8 or 2.0 or 2.2 uh something like it or 1.4 and you're outside you may not be able to go over it may want to go to you know, one eight, you know, an eight one eight thousandth of a second, eighty, yeah, one eight thousandth of a second, and that's all it can do, and it's still overexposing. So you have to have that ND filter. It's just a great thing to have in your bag. And it, I was having a discussion at the office and realizing how few people there had a had an ND filter, and and realized that it's something that, that maybe I should suggest. So does Alex, anyone have so a you, brand that they I, like?
1: Yeah, I was gonna I was gonna mention to you, Alex if you haven't seen it, it's very expensive, but Singray makes. I think it's a seven-stop variable Whoa. neutral density filter, which means you can dial in exactly how much ND you want. So that, you know, allows you to have just one filter. What's, what's to, expensive? Uh, it's over $300, I believe. <laughs> it's like another but lens. But you, you have it for a lifetime, yeah, right? Exactly. And, and we're talking about a 77 millimeter to fit, you know, the the, the most common zooms. And you can always get a, a step-down ring for a smaller for a smaller, um, um you know filter size, but you know it's kind of a unique product. I, I haven't seen anything else that covers quite that range. You know, right. one ND filter fits all. And these filters can
0: range from you know ten dollars each to sixty dollars each. It's just a really you know the, the single ones that I've seen, are sixty to hundred dollars each. Uh, and and so and obviously, what you, you get, what you pay for. So there, there's
2: also just just to toss in, if you want a sort of a variable uh, ND filter, you can make one yourself just by taking two polarizing filters. Uh, and rotating them relative to each other, and that will actually give you sort of a range of NDs uh, Just doing that.
0: Oh. Uh-huh. Like neither. That sounds like a video. Uh-huh. <laughs> one of the things we're going to be doing a lot of this this uh, this week uh, or this this month is um, twip uh, videos. So we'll be having twip videos one or two a week uh, starting next week. So um, they'll still be in the same feed. So if you're listening, you'll just you'll just get them. And uh, I'm I'm going to finally do my bag tour, which I haven't which I've been putting off for a long time. And uh and then we're going to well, maybe we'll do something like what Ron was talking about. Maybe uh maybe we'll get maybe we'll get Ron to come up to uh Oh no, I'll be down there. there. I'm going to be uh-huh. down in uh in LA on the 8th. Uh-huh. Yeah, maybe we'll do that. Joseph, uh, do you have a pick for us? I do. I actually had two,
3: but it looks like we're running short on time, so I'll save one for next week. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to pick the the free one. It is also a website. It's a website called useplus.com, U-S-E, um, useplus, P-L-U-S. And ju- I'm going to read the opening line on here just to put it in their words. The the Plus Coalition is an international nonprofit initiative initiative. On a mission to simplify and facilitate the communication and management of image rights, and so what's one of the big problems in the world of photography has been defining what the image rights are you know it, my image is allowed for advertising use well what is advertising and to what degree does that mean and so what the plus coalition has done is put together a series of definitions for all the different rights that you could come up with, and it is a uh, it's a coalition, right? So there's a lot of people that are contributing to it, um, both from the client and the photographer side. And I think that's a big part of what they do is that it is from both sides of it. It's not one-sided. It's not biased for the photographer. And it is getting international recognition. It's getting backing. And it is growing pretty quickly. And it's a really good place to go to get a series of standard definitions for uh, what you are licensing your images to do. And they do a couple of really cool things in here, one of which is you can actually um, use a license generator on here and embed a license into your digital files. And then they have a reader that your client can read to read that file. Of course, if you find the, uh, the file online somewhere, you can pull it down and run it through the, the software and take a look at what rights were embedded into that. And it's very, very powerful. And it's, like I said, it's something that's growing. And um, I think it's really gonna really benefit all of us quite a bit. So, Again, it's you know, for the both the photographer and the client side of things.
0: How does this distinguish? What's different about this in something like Creative Commons?
3: Well, creative commons is – I think that's more for people who aren't looking to restrict the rights as much, right? To say, um, you know, I can put this on my website and anybody can use it as long as it's not for commercial use. This is extremely specific. Okay. Like I was going through and generating a series of licenses last night and you, for, a, for a shoot that I'm doing, and you've got like you know A through E licenses that are, that are permitted. And one of them is very specific – Postcards printed postcard mailers and exactly what that can be. And you can define how big the image can be on that mailer, hmm. how many variations of that mailer there can be, how many copies of that mailer there can be. And you can have extremely specific restrictions on it.
0: Now, and, and I guess that that's also being handled by the client. But as a client, I, I find that I, I can barely manage you know, the, the, the licensing from Photo. <laughs> Sometimes. I mean, you know, because I, I look at it, you know, the you know whether I need an extended license or a regular license. I mean, I, and I'm and i a very frequent flyer of iStock photos. So I, um, that's something. So is that when you do this specific stuff, does it make it more difficult or is it possibly make it more difficult?
3: I think part of the reason, part of the thing here is that it becomes a standard. And the idea is for it to become a standard that everybody follows the same standards. So when you have a list of five different uses that an image is licensed for, instead of your definition of... Um, you know, right. postcard printing be different yeah. from mine being different from the other guys. There is a single standard that everybody has agreed to.
0: That makes sense. And
3: yeah. And, and again, the big part of this is that it's not specific. It's not biased for the photographer or for the client. It is agreed upon by both parties. So it is what has been deemed as fair for everybody you know, for a specific use. Got it.
0: Very cool. So, and that is uh, use plus. That's use yeah, plus.com. Yeah. Use plus use dot com. Definitely check it out. Uh, Steve.
1: Okay, and I'll uh, put a photostudent.com blog as my pick of the week. Uh, that's the one where we got the um, this great list of movies, and just for that alone, yeah. it's definitely worth um, checking out. But aside from that, uh, Jamie Pomerantz is a master's student at the School of Visual Arts. There's a lot of good uh, links on the side of this blog, So, and he looks like a pretty pretty smart guy when it comes to photography. So, Photostudent.com. Smart smart to get that URL as well.
0: Fantastic. And uh, Steve, where can people find you?
1: Uh, SteveSimonPhoto.com and Twitter slash SteveSimon.
0: And uh, Ron, where can people find you? Uh, like I said,
2: DigitalComposting.com is my blog. And, of course, on Twitter as Ron Brinkman. Joseph, where can
0: people find you?
3: JosephLanashki.com. And since nobody can spell that, the blog is ConfessionsOfATravelJunkie.com. Or on the Twitter's travel underscore junkie.
0: Excellent. This is uh, Alex Lindsay signing off. Uh, it's time to go out there, take that, uh, take that lens cap right off, start shooting.